a very warm welcome to our Whispers of the Soul podcast, where we host conscious conversations with a spiritual and soulful twist. We and our guest speakers talk about life-changing events orchestrated from our soul, so that we can raise the profile of our quieter and more softer voice that comes from our intuition. So stay with us for your next soul download. Whispers of the soul. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Whispers of the Soul. This is episode number 26, would you believe? And um, I'm very excited today because I'm with a very special guest who is joining us all the way from Glastonbury. Um, and her name is QB May. And we are going to be having some information um, and doing lots of learning, actually, about the Celtic wisdom of trees during this episode, which I can't wait to get into. But um, QB also does many other things, um, and she's bringing with her many of her experiences, sharing her wisdom with us today. Um, so before I bring her in, let's just do a quick intro for you listeners. So QB May is a white witch and creative therapist from Glastonbury. She offers workshops in Reiki, tree folklore, Celtic healing and wand making, plus lots of online support for one-to-one therapy, guidance and tailored healing journeys too. So welcome QB. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's lovely to be here. I'm excited that you're here. And I think that, you know, just before we we came on live, myself and QB were talking about, you know, the interest and the relevance of how we are now thinking about and connecting to the land and um, what's mm-hmm. happening as we're going through this ascension process um, and how, how that's actually affecting Earth, uh, Gaia, and how she's mm-hmm. working through it as well. So I just think that you know, today's topic is so relevant for people um, and, and even people that yeah. maybe don't think of the land in that way. It's a great way to start mm-hmm. thinking. Um, but for people listening, QB, I know we, we had a similar background overlaying what we did at, at uni. We both came from the Creative Expressive Therapist degree. But for people listening, can yeah. you give them a little bit of an overlay, a, a summary of of how you got to be where you are now and the work that you're doing? Oh, gosh, yeah. I know, it's a tough uh, one. (laughs) I feel like it began in childhood. (laughs) But um, really, I suppose, uh, you know, started to take it seriously and turning uh, my connection with the land into something tangible that I could offer for people. That probably began after the creative therapies degree. Um, I trained up in, well, I actually, I went on a bit of a mad detour. I, I trained up as an art teacher and then went back to the art as therapy. Right. Um, and um, so I did a lot of um, working with people in a creative way using art and then naturally found myself wanting to bring more uh, nature into it. So mm-hmm. going out on the land, doing nature mandalas um, became part of my creative process, things like that. Um, and then as I got to about my mid, 
I would say as I turned 30, I, I began to sort of find a real calling in myself to bring the land more into things. So I I went off to, um, I did like an overnight pilgrimage to Glastonbury. It's like a 12-hour hike. Um, I did it by myself through the night. Wow. Um, and I arrived, I know, it was absolutely mad, to be honest. <laughs> when I look back on it, I'm like, what a peculiar thing to have done. That feels like a, <laughs> that feels like a calling. That feels like something was just, I need to do this. <laughs> for it to be that big it really it really was like that it was uh something really pulled me into Glastonbury and I did my um Celtic shamanism training there so that was kind of looking at the basic elements of working with the land and Celtic healing Mm -hmm. um and I suppose I just read so many books about you know Druidry and the Celtic folklore and stuff and it all started to accumulate and um eventually I realized because I decided to move to Glastonbury as well. And I just thought, what a wonderful opportunity to pull together a study about Celtic folklore and Celtic healing. Because I, I I do Reiki healing. I'm also trained as a Reiki master. And I thought, as wonderful, I love Reiki. Uh, it's beautiful uh, practice. But there was a part of me really wondering, what would our ancestors have done? Um, you know, how would they have healed on the lands? And uh, you know, when we're talking about Celts, we're talking about uh, a lot of European countries as well as, you know, the British Isles and Ireland and Wales, Scotland, some areas of France, Brittany. You know, it goes all the way across right up to um, Austria, really, the the Celts. I was going to say that like we were saying before, though, QB, we wouldn't associate that with the Celtic heritage, would we? Those countries. No, we get so used to thinking of Celts as Irish, really. When I think yeah. of Celts, I think of the leprechauns and yeah. <laughs> all these yeah. little, you know, <laughs> river dance. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I never knew till you know, you were talking to me before we went live that just that, that area that it covered, mm. it's quite big. Yeah, yeah, it was massive. Yeah, yeah really big area of, of um, culture, really. And um it's been beautiful to revive it back in my own life um, and to connect with the old gods and the the land in a different way. And from there, I started to build together um, a course of study, sort of a four-leveled workshop, similar to Reiki training, but more focused on the Celtic uh, aspects of healing and what our ancestors would have done. Mm. So that's that's what I'm teaching now is, is all of that. And so people can come along um to where you're doing this in Glastonbury in person and have this experience and do this workshop with you yes yeah I bring people in I take them around all the beautiful sort of folklore tour areas and uh, all of the sacred sites and we spend four days going deep into Celtic mythology and learning how to heal and Mm. and they go away on day four with the skills that they need to be Celtic healers to wow. take that off into the world. And what is it for you, Kubi, about the this the Celtic healing side and the heritage in the land? What is it about that element that really attracts you, that mm. draws you in? You know, through your research, what were the things that you discovered that made you go, God, that's amazing. Why don't people know about oh, it? <laughs> I, th- I think it was, um, yeah, it's such a good question. I, I mean, for me, I think the Celts represent something quite archaic and uh, close to nature. It's that that connection of finding spirituality through nature mm. rather than something higher than ourselves or above. It was really like getting into the gritty roots of the earth and learning its wisdom. Mm. Um, 
and they have their own gods as well of course there's a whole pantheon of over 400 gods in the celtic folklore um and they're all quite human and i quite like that about the old gods is that they're much more um tangible to me they're like they've got you know very human traits of yeah. good side and uh, negative sides to their characters for those people listening who are some of the obvious ones that people may have heard of the gods the the gods or goddesses so a, a big famous one, especially around Glastonbury, is Bridget, um, who later got sort of synchronised into St. Bridget of Kildare. Um, but originally that would have been Bridget of the Hearth. Um, wow. She's a goddess of music and fire and smith crafting and and the arts and poetry. She's amazing. I, I love absolutely love Bridget. She's one of my favourites. Um, and one of the the famous male ones, we've got the Dagda, which is like the all father figure, the the good father, the good god, they call him. Right. Okay. And um, Kanunos is another one. Wow. Um, who's kind of like the horned god of the wild. You probably see that pop up in a lot of Celtic artwork. Yes. Um, and then Danu, Danu is almost like an earth mother. She's. Uh, I always go to her for a lot of sort of motherly wisdom and maternal instincts and things like that. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, how you can, you know, work with these sorts of archetypes almost and 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 derive yeah. that wisdom, you know, and get and and have that fuller understanding through their yes. teachings and what they represent. Yeah, yeah, they're very relatable as well. There's. Um, you know, we can kind of find their stories woven into old Irish folklore and myths and mm. things like the Mabinogian features a lot of the old um, Celtic gods. Mm. And they're brilliant stories just to read because it, it's it's really from our own land where you've grown up and it's much more relatable somehow. It's kind yeah. of, um, it feels like coming home, studying yeah. it. Yeah. And so some of these um, sites, some of these sacred sites, obviously you're in Glastonbury, which, you know, holds a few famous ones but you know what, <laughs> what sort of sites and places that you visited personally that you know that stand out for you that connect in with the Celtic healing and mm. folklore and so yeah I mean in Glastonbury we've got the tour <laughs> we're lucky with that we've got Gog and Magog which are the ancient oaks um but there's Stonehenge which there's an argument about Stonehenge about whether it would have actually been used by our druid ancestors um, and actually, it was built in the megalithic area, so much, much further back, a Neolithic ah, period. Right, um, okay, yes. Um, but there is a bit of an argument, a debate in the historian world around that. Um, Avebury is another interesting um, place, the whole village covered with a, the biggest stone circle. Um, and then you've got some really interesting pilgrimage sites, like the Hill of Tara, which was um, in Ireland, well, is in Ireland, and that's meant to be where the the old gods of the Celtic pantheon. So they were called the Tuat de Danan and they landed there originally on the hill of Tara. So there's a, a quite a, an air of mystery around that. It's one of those sites I'm hoping to visit myself this year. Wow. Yeah, sounds it. And I've, I've only briefly heard of the two, you mentioned those two oak trees, the old. Yes. Are, are they, is it because yeah. they're so old that they stand out? Is, the, is it the age thing? Yeah, they're, they're, um, there's a, a, a big argument about how old they are, but there was meant to be a whole row of oaks nearby, which would have been a druidic sort of ceremonial pathway. Right. And they cut those down and 
there's a there's a story about one of the farmers counting the rings and it was 2000 so 2000 years old so oh, potentially some of the oldest oaks in england um and they're just they're beautiful uh, reminders that it's a gateway into avalon in, in glastonbury it's it's meant to be the sort of the pathway that led arthur in and mm. all the folklore and and I was going to ask you about that. So for, for people listening, if they may have heard of, of mm. Avalon but don't really know much about it, could you just explain for people mm. listening the, the story that's connected with Avalon? So Avalon is meant to be the sort of, it comes from the Arthurian folklore. So in Celtic folklore, uh, it's not a hell. There's just an other with many, many other dimensions within it. And it's something that's sort of surrounding us and it can be accessed through certain hills or mounds or over water or by walking for miles and entering trance-like states on the land. And um, one of the other names for this is Avalon. And it's believed that the tour... Um, of, of Glastonbury is an entrance to to the other world um but there's there's so much debate again that some people believe it's in Wales some people believe it's in, <laughs> there's so much debate but for me I I do feel that uh, Glastonbury is Avalon there's definitely it's called the Isle of Avalon mm. and there's uh, many things that connect it such as the the abundance of apple trees uh, mm-hmm. Avalon comes from the Welsh word apple so it's the Isle of Apples yeah um, and just the energy from the land it's always sacred place yeah um, it, for pilgrims how, how big was it supposed to be and it's you know if, if and and how long ago are we talking when because you know when we think about these places like I mentioned to you before about my interest in, in mm. my interest in Lemuria and I know a lot of people talk about Atlantis as well and mm. they, they, there's still some debate isn't there as to how real they are or whether they're still myth or yeah. not um but you know yeah. how many years ago are we who are we talking about with with Avalon? So Avalon is well because that's Arthurian folklore that came more into the medieval period, right? But um, Celtic folklore it's it sort of just after the 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 Beaker period. So we're talking about sort of one thousand five hundred uh, BC, and then the okay. Romans, of course, invaded and they took over, and there was a whole period. There's a four hundred year adjustment really once the Romans invaded. Um, morphing their gods with our gods mm. and their traditions, traditions, and then it would have slowly petered away, uh, probably in underground societies and and sort of folklore customs up until the the, the witch hunts, really. So uh, up until when? Sorry, the the witch hunts. Oh, okay, yeah. I was just going to ask you, where do the druids fit in to all of this? Sort of in terms of the history of. Yeah, the land. Yeah, so the Druids played a really important role for the Celts. They were considered very high up in rank. Um, they were people that the the sort of kings and queens would go for, to for advice. They held sacred ceremonies. They tended to the land. They were considered religious teachers. Um, you know, they were sort of almost like lawmakers as well. They they almost had a political stance in the Celtic uh, world. Yeah, so they were very important people um and sadly they would have been you know pushed back as the romans came in um and probably brought more into the bardic way so you you would have had um the druids the ovates who are sort of diviners and prophesiers um and then you'd have 
know, druids, ovates, and bards. And bards are um, historians, really. They they used to keep the the Celtic history, but through poems and and songs and folklore, mm. um, because they believed everything should be passed down orally and never written. Right. Okay. And the bards went through right through into the medieval period. Um, so it's possible that they were the sort of predecessors of the Druids. They probably became the, the filly of Ireland, they're called, um, and the bards that we know of in the, the kind of Mabinogian phase of mm-hmm. the medieval period. Mm. And and for people listening, anybody that are fans of The Witcher, they probably know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, really? Is that what that's all about? <laughs> well, yeah, they have a bar, a very famous bard on that show I've forgotten his name um and um they talk about mages which are very similar to how you've been explaining druids in that they had positions that were connected to you know rulers of that time and uh, and their yeah. advice would be you know greatly received they were very well respected they were connected to all things that that we would consider magical um you know so it's it's there's some crossovers there so yeah witcher fans (laughs) so I just wanted to ask you as well when you were talking about the Mm. um apple trees and that that's where the name (laughs) Avalon came from is did I read somewhere about um you using this wood because I know let's talk about this wand making that you do because I just think that's fascinating and very unique (laughs) um so could you yeah talk to us about that and how that came about and what people can experience Mm. so the wand making gosh well I've I've I think I had my first wand when I was very young I made it from a willow branch when I was sort of 10 years old or something but I've uh, the wand really represents um, a rite of passage I think for a lot of people that come to my workshops so most people that come they they come because they're stepping onto a new pathway whether that's um you know, a declaration of something to themselves or parenthood or marriage or even just stepping onto their path of magic as, as a self-declared witch or a, yeah. a healer. So the wand really represents that um, and it can be used for protection, so for casting circles of protection and focusing healing when you're doing things like, even when doing things like Reiki, it can be uh, incorporated into that. Um and as a yeah, just as a form of protection, um, it, it sort of forms a connection with you and a tree, uh, and also the whole of the the kind of the magical realm that you're stepping into when you're healing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we do make our trees from the the famous apple orchards of Avalon, um, the apple trees known to be uh, an entrance, sort of like a to the other world. I think the druids would often use an apple tree branch with bells on the end and they would shake it to open up the other realm. Wow. The other world realm. So, yeah, it's quite a potent tree to work with for wands. Yeah. And that, again, that wouldn't be something that people would necessarily know about. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? All these things that have become lost. Uh, yeah. We know that the druids would have carried around staves and wands, but... Um, yeah, it's sort of. It's. I suppose it's become more popular with Harry Potter. We've kind of got good old, yeah. old Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. A little bit of this weaving through. <laughs> yeah. Helping us, yeah, helping us to to well for some people, helping them to remember. I think a lot of this knowledge that's coming forward now is coming from a, a place of this emergence and this remembering, as opposed to 
you know it's almost like oh that mm. feels familiar I, I think I might have known that it's that that's right. really lovely to see um with people yeah that's it especially you know anyone who has got their ties with Celtic ancestry it, it sort of makes your bones rattle with memory it's a strange phenomena yeah yeah I, I do I have a a real passion and I can't explain it it's something about well I love the music I, I, I think because I'm musical oh. that gets me anyway um but yeah I can just yeah. conjure up all these scenes that that feel to me feel very Celtic based you know yeah something about the land and I suppose for some people like like we were we were joking before but when we were talking about the leprechauns and the fairies and <laughs> for me there's something yeah. about the elementals that tie in with the Celtic um you know oh massively yeah uh, which I love yeah, I just massively. love that love that yeah, they had a close connection with the Fae. Um, the the word for it with the Celtic folklore is the she. It's spelt uh, S-I-D. She, S-I, like, spelt like S-I-D. Oh, <laughs> but okay. it's pronounced she. And it's, uh, it meant that they were completely interacting with the, the Fae realm that whole time. They were, it was kind of known to find a brownie in your house and you had to treat them fairly, <laughs> you yeah. know, otherwise they wouldn't help out and they could cause havoc. Yes. Um, Which is where the mischievous bit comes in, isn't it? With some of the, yeah, yeah understanding of all oh, being yeah. mischievous. I think it the sort of uh, the idea is that the fairies sort of were banished eventually away and they were forgotten about and uh, they sort of became smaller and smaller and now perhaps don't even exist, which is sad. But I, I do believe you can get back in touch with them. It's uh, it's one of the things I teach on my course is how to contact the fae through the the Celtic otherworld. Yeah, no, I I definitely feel that they're there and. You know, I know we're going to come on yeah. to this in a minute, but, you know, thinking about spirits of the land and um, elementals, I feel, play a big role in that. Um, and almost mm. almost like um, protectors in some ways. And I've heard a few stories. Um, there was one in particular where there was a family, and I actually can't remember, I think it might have been Wiltshire, where they bought a property, so not too far from you. Mm. But, um yeah. They, they had this, so the way it came about was they had what they were thinking was like a paranormal activity. But what had happened, oh, was they'd gone into the garden, they'd not been in this house long, and they chopped down two mm -hmm. apple trees. They chopped them down yeah. and they got this person in, this expert that could connect with the land and what was going on. And they said, oh, it's, you've not got it. This isn't a haunt. This isn't spirits. This isn't paranormal. These are elements. <laughs> you you need to plant some apple trees. And I remember watching this thinking, oh my God. <laughs> How yeah, cool yeah, yeah. They're like making themselves known. It's like, no, you can't chop them. Good for them. Especially what you just said now about apple trees. It makes even more sense to me. <laughs> yeah, they're quite sacred trees. <laughs> yeah. That would have uh, ruffled the feathers of some pixies in the back garden. Absolutely. They weren't. They, they were not happy, QB. <laughs> oh, bless. So um, I yeah. wanted to just ask you as well about, you know, we were talking about the um, the Celtic tree law and, um, you know, mm. this you, you, you're, you're bringing in, you're birthing in something new, aren't you? Um, yeah. Uh, which sounds <laughs> phenomenal. So, yeah, take it away. Tell us oh. more. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited to be launching this because I've had a lot of people come to me and say, do you do anything online? Because we follow you online and we can't get to Glastonbury. Maybe we're in America and things like that. So I, I got I got to think and I thought, what can I offer uh, as an online service or an online offering? Uh, and something I'm deeply passionate about at the moment is studying the Oum, which is the uh, Druidic, well, Celtic folklore. Um, it's connected with the trees. It's, it actually originated as an alphabet that they've discovered engraved onto sort of rocks and bits of wood that go back to the sort of the age of the Druids. Mm. And it's believed it was a secret language that the Druids created so that the Romans couldn't interpret their, their communication with one another. Um, although it's not written down in text because they didn't believe in that. So it's not like whole books written in Oum, but rather each, each marking uh, represents a tree and there's 20 markings of these alphabets uh, and 20 trees to explore and what later came about was this discovery that the trees uh, had their own symbolism and their own metaphors and life teachings really um, so you, what I'm offering is like a 20-month course where you explore the trio in one month and one tree at a time you get to carve a, almost like um, a stave and and engrave the oem similar to the runes from the nordic uh, yes. pagans yeah and it becomes a divination tool so you end up with 20 staves that you can use for divination but the 20 months are really a deep dive into um it's like a spiritual path that you're walking because mm. you're learning about the wisdom of each tree as you go along and incorporating that into your own life and seeing your own life transform along with the the teachings of the tree so it's a beautiful I journey and I just love Good that. Good way to connect with you. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, don't you think that trees have kind of, similar to what we were saying about the Fae, they've been forgotten about, that they hold yeah. such wisdom. And, you know, I know I've got a few friends that just have such beautiful connections with trees, like they need to go and be with trees and put their hands on trees and, you know, this idea of them yeah. communicating through the roots. And there's just so much, isn't there, that goes beyond the surface. Oh. Absolutely. And it's it's quite a faint thing to feel at first, connecting with a tree. It's something that you almost have to build a relationship with it as though you're visiting a friend, you know, um, regular sort of days sitting underneath trees, meditating and seeing what drops in and, mm. uh, you know, leaving offerings of honey at the roots, things like that, or mm. singing songs or reading poems beneath trees. It's a beautiful way to connect with them. Wow, that's a good suggestion. Um, yeah. These 20 trees that you, you've been looking at and working on, has there any that's kind of stood out for you that, that's made you think about things slightly differently that you could share with the listeners? You know, it's really interesting. So when I first started this, and, and the first one is the silver birch, um, and it sort of represents a gateway or beginnings and purification. And I spent quite a long time on this this one tree because I've really wanted to feel into the beginning of it. Uh, and I had a strange thing happen where lots of things started to just doors close. And I thought, how peculiar, you know, lots of friends moving away suddenly for different reasons. Um, chapters of my life just coming to a gentle close all at once. Mm. And I realized it was probably completely connected with the the oem uh, and i quickly thought gosh i should move on to the next one <laughs> it was definitely uh, something was being clear in my life there was lots wow. of um and all divine as well it all had um it was all stuff that had to happen 
and was for the best of me and the good from the good of my path. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just so fascinating how it aligned with that stave. So I knew wow. then, gosh, we've worked with real magic here. These, you know, your life will reflect the stave that you're working with and the Owen that you're working with. Um, but my favorite one is the willow, uh, which is also my my birthday one. I'm a Taurus and it's connected to the willow tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the willow is just this beautiful, ethereal, um, very feminine and very soft and I when I work with Willow I find um, a lot of ease and a lot of flow come into my life mm. it's very easy to soften in uh, like very gentle feminine when mm. I work with Willow mm. so I do yeah. that. and I suppose because they, they they're known for their flexibility aren't they and how they bend and move as opposed to this idea of them yes. being easily broken in winds or something it's it has a diff they have a different yeah. movement to them don't they yeah, absolutely. They're they're very um yeah, the dancers really, aren't they? When you see yeah. them in the wind. I love them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When we, when I was little growing up, the um house that we were living in had a massive willow tree just over to the left. This will be interesting actually to share with you, see what your thoughts are. Um and so we had a very tall, uh narrow garden and there was this willow tree, huge. It must have been there a long time on the left. Um, and when I was about seven, eight years old, I started having this recurring, what felt like a nightmare at the time, but I've since realized mm. it wasn't a nightmare, of this black panther. And it would always come from the willow tree every single time. It would just emerge oh, from the willow tree. Yeah. And frighten me. Mm. And, I, and there was me and my mum in the house in my dream. And we had to like run up this garden path and try and hide at the top of the garden in this summer house. And it would feel like it's coming for us. You know, but mm. now in terms of sort of shamanism, I see the Black Panther a bit more as a spirit animal. Right, like a harbinger of magic. Yeah, yeah. But it was the willow <laughs> every time. It was the, it, almost like it was coming out from underneath the willow. Oh, that's so interesting, isn't it? Maybe it was a, um, quite a maternal magic, you know, with it coming under out from that tree. Yeah, so I'm wondering because you know, listening to you talking about the energy of the willow, it does feel quite feminine and soft. And you know, it's um, there's there's been some challenges in my relationship with my mum that maybe oh, okay. kind of I don't know, maybe some sort of forewarning or some insight from somewhere. I'm not sure, but yeah, those those cats always remind me of protectors as well. They kind of come as a protection in shamanism, don't they? Quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a seven-year-old, I, I didn't quite see it like that at the time. <laughs> um, oh, bless. So, yeah, that's so interesting. So people can, you know, when you're doing this work, people can then work with you online if they can't get to you uh, in person. Yeah. Just so in, it's just so fascinating, I think, you know, connecting again in that way and, and giving it that time and that depth with trees. Exactly. And it's a lovely opportunity for people to come together and meet other people on the same journey as well. Yeah. So it'll be sort of um, talking shares online about how everyone's experiencing working with that tree that month. Yeah. And then we'll learn the folklore together and we'll learn how to make tinctures and remedies from the tree that we're working with and lots mm. of lovely little things. Yeah, that sounds gorgeous. Um yeah. so what Kibi, what's your thoughts on what's actually happening in terms because and obviously we're mm. bringing it back to the land and um these changes that we're seeing I mean there's two there's two sides to this there's the side where it looks a bit chaotic and things are cr- you know crumbling and falling apart which I 
call more 3D surface level. But then there's the other side where things are emerging that, you know, has more of a, um, I don't know what the word is. It's more relevant and true and pure to where we're headed almost. Oh, yeah. I just wondered what your thoughts were on that. It's funny because a couple of years ago, I mean, we've had a mad few years, haven't we, with COVID and the lockdowns and all these things. And it it really looked like, you know, the kind of Armageddon was was here yeah um and I was very very active within the activism field at that time and very vocal about what I thought and it was very much like a keyboard warrior at the time and yeah I had a bug out bag and I had 300 tins of beans in the attic just in case of a <laughs> like a, a food crisis I really took it very seriously and then well, after moving to Glastonbury and softening more into the land I've definitely, I mean, I, I tell you what, I gave away those tins of beans to a charity because I just thought, I thought, actually, if it is the end of the world, just let it be. <laughs> I really lost my activist spirit. I kind of just went more into the destiny of the land. Yeah. And I felt much more self-held in realising that whatever was going to happen, we had chosen this time to come down and incarnate on Earth. And we had a beautiful, deep connection with the land and that we'd be okay. Whatever happens, we're equipped to deal with it. And we will do uh, when it comes, when it surfaces. Um, but also I'm a big believer in astrology. So the, you know, we're coming, we're sort of transitioning into the age of Aquarius, aren't we? 2024 is that, that's the gateway, which yeah. is next year. And so for me, it actually just seems like, you know, I mean, you'll notice it in your own life as well. When when things fall away, it's often to make way for something better that comes in. Mm-hmm. So in times of uh, in society, when there's times of crisis and chaos, it's normally that it's crumbling in order to make way for something you know much greater and higher of a higher frequency. So I'm kind of okay with the crumbling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I try and help out where I can in my small pockets of society. I find that much less overwhelming than trying to help the whole world now. Um, I, I believe that whatever we do as an individual ripples out anyway and affects the greater, the whole. So, um, yeah, I think the best thing we can do is connect to the land and to hear what she has to say about it all at this time and mm. and to soften into um, trust and to, to soften into the the wave format and the wave cycles of the planet and just to do our bit protecting the planet where we can. Yeah. I I a hundred percent agree with everything you just said. And, um, and I think that, I I think that that is a really valuable lesson because there's, we've gone through such a, um, a a time, a period of time where there's been so much separation and and whether that's Mm. been caused through beliefs or religion or whatever, I'm I'm also talking about the separation of the land because particularly let's say city people that are you know very busy doing stuff and they're not probably really outside Mm -hmm. that much or connecting or thinking about so it's it's interesting isn't it that in some ways it feels like we're going back to the simpler way of understanding and being yeah it's so interesting isn't it I thought it was particularly fascinating what you're saying there as well about, you know, with with people in cities and they have that disconnect from nature. But especially during the lockdowns, what I noticed was people, although they were trapped in their little boxes and told to sit there and they only had the Internet to communicate with people, 
people were going within from that they were being forced within and yeah. what was happening as a result was they then wanted to connect to nature more yeah i've never seen so many people jogging around and making flower tinctures and <laughs> you know what i mean and foraging and it was yeah for that period of time it was quite beautiful that people were suddenly becoming aware of their nature their true nature yeah. from being removed from it, it yeah. was quite a, a paradox I, I I agree and I think that it was that for some people that going inwards was quite hairy scary it raised a lot of anxiety for others it was oh, yeah. others others it was oh I feel I feel like I need this time I can use this time in a good way in a healthy way mm-hmm. and rebuild this relationship or focus on this there was a bit of a mix yeah. but it's funny isn't it as when we start to go inward then that helps us actually connect better what with yeah. outside of us and I, I know here where I live uh near Derby there's there was so people I saw similar to you I saw so many more people wanting to go out and walk and I know when it all kind of stopped I thought I still need to walk I still need to get out and walk and I found these little yeah. walkways near me that I didn't even know was here that that I wouldn't oh, have isn't and that's just me that's just so, you know, so yeah so many people I think it it, you're right I think he gave them that pause gave them that time then didn't it to reconnect yeah. a bit more yeah so in, in many ways although it was uh, a time of disconnect it, it sort of came back to more connection potentially at least people have been pointed in the right direction now and I, I suppose even in cities there's ways of finding those little green spaces or oh. or even bringing nature indoors like say, having a few plants yeah yeah and so for people listening, if they're thinking, you know, about visiting certain sites or if they're thinking about, okay, what could I maybe just do in my garden? How can I, mm. is there anything that you would suggest or recommend for people to connect more, to kind of be more present or listen in or, you know, have that feeling mm. of connection? Gosh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. So, so I have two dogs, so I'm, I'm, I have to go outside yeah. at least once or twice a day to walk them um but I would say just to start walking and to start walking in a way where you're seeing but really seeing so sort of being very mindful and uh, taking in everything around you so the sound of the the wind in the leaves and how the sunlight hits the you know the dappled light that comes through leaves and how roots look and how they feel mm. and then eventually to approach a tree I always think it's such a gorgeous return to um returning of yourself really to go and find a tree that you feel drawn to and just get to know it um like I said whether that's just even clearing rubbish from that area and keeping it clean um or writing poetry and reading poetry and singing songs or instruments to it um or even just approaching the tree with your arms held up just to see if you can feel a tingle Mm. normally I feel like a warm buzz in the heart when I connect to a tree you don't actually even have to be physically touching it it's something that you can feel from sort of a couple of feet back even further back sometimes yeah yeah and try to build on that every day uh, every time you go and visit it until it feels really strong Mm. and eventually you'll notice that you're sitting under that tree and you're getting sort of downloads from it or insights that just aren't coming from you and you know it it's the wisdom of that tree and watercolors I find really help with channeling as well so um painting under trees and see what you're channeling from them just Mm -hmm. seeing sort of a sort of a free flow 
and see what emerges and see if any metaphors and symbols show through. Yeah, because, you know, for, for some people that may not um, find it easy to visualise, for example, they may see or work with mm. colour better and that you can use then those that artistic medium, can't you, to try and, like you were saying, channel that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think they sort of prefer, I mean, trees don't really have a language, I suppose. It's probably easier for them to communicate visually through us as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's one near me where if I'm walking my mum's dog, it actually, I, I actually don't know what kind of tree it is. I'm, I must find that out, but it just kind of, it does like this umbrella thing where it comes all the way down. And then some of the branches are really literally just right near the ground. And whenever I walk under oh. it, I feel like I'm being protected, like I'm safe. Oh, exactly. They feel like it, they almost feel like visiting grandparents sometimes. They yeah. really are the answer. You know, they were here so much longer before us on the land. And yeah. it's funny that we don't think of ancestors, really. Yeah, yeah. And they really are. Yeah, gosh, it's just so interesting. So I'm going to ask you one more thing and then we're going to talk about how people can find out more about you. But, you know, in terms of, I mean, I know you've done a lot and I was um, looking on your website and you've written a couple of books there, which also look quite cool. So I wrote down this one on rituals and spells, <laughs> um, uh, creative introduction to Reiki healing, poems and daydreams. I mean, how gorgeous is that? Um, oh, formed a big group of friends called the Brighton Bohemians. <laughs> And we, uh, we we obviously thought of ourselves as very bohemian, sort of self-proclaimed. <laughs> and we decided we'd um, uh, sort of candlelit poetry nights in our house. And eventually we decided that we'd, we'd gotten good enough that we could probably put them in a book. So we, we gathered them all together. And that's what that book is. Yeah, that just sounds, that sounds awesome. I think, it's, <laughs> you know, being in that space, like you were explaining, like how you could work or connect with a tree. I think that so can be so rewarding and, you know, both you and I know from a sort of therapeutic view how how that can be, how cathartic it is and freeing yeah. and expressive it can be that, uh, you know, that we often in our lives don't prioritise. We just think, well, no, that's I need to do this and do that. But it's so important, isn't it, to have that space? Yeah, exactly. It's sort of a window to the soul, isn't it, the creativity? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I was going to say with all of the stuff that you've done and you're doing now, have you had any kind of standout moments or anything that's, you know, you've that's really, really sort of moved you in, in a way, whether that's working with other people or something that you've done yourself or, you know, because it, mm. I mean, it's you must have just such incredible stories. I'm just wondering <laughs> if I could te tease one out of you at the end. <laughs> Yeah, living in Glastonbury is quite a trip. So everything's very sort of fairy tale a lot of the time. I mean, it does definitely have its shadow as well. It's not all love and light here. It's uh, it's definitely a big balance of both extremes. But we had a wonderful Beltane, which is the celebration of spring or the beginning of summer, really. And um, it's the first of May. It's a beautiful procession. They have everyone dressed as the sort of the green man and the pixies and the fae and Kanunos, and they all march down the high street with this uh with the maypole which is made from a tree that they fell uh the day before and the men carry the tree and and i had a, a there was just a stunning moment where everyone piled into the the field where the maypole was going to be put up and we had allegedly it was three thousand people I, I don't know if it was quite that many but it 
perhaps it was, but 3,000 people visited Glastonbury that day for the Beltane celebrations. And uh, just before they erected the, the Maypole, the Druids came into the centre with the, the May King and the May Queen and they got everybody to chant Arwen. So 3,000 people chanting Arwen. And Arwen is like the kind of like the Holy Spirit of the Celtic world. So you're kind of invoking this beautiful energy of spirit to come down into the space and there's certain hand positions that you do to represent it. So everyone was holding their hands in the air in certain symbols and chanting Arwen. And it it was gorgeous. I almost felt like a dome went up over the field. And it was just this, it was just such a beautiful thing to witness that I had, you know, I had tears in my eyes. It was really wow. it felt ancient and so sacred and I felt so so lucky to be witness to it all really mm. yeah it really felt the land vibrating with us you know that's incredible you know and that that's just evidence, <laughs> that's just evidence as well of what we were mentioning before about how when people come together you know what happens yes. when people come together we don't know our own power in in that you know that collective energy oh my God. yeah we're the human race we're so magical and I feel like we've only just really scraped the surface of our potential as magical beings and in those little moments it gives it away it really does it's there's something so much deeper and greater going on in the soul yeah yeah well thank you for sharing that that's that I can visualize that so clearly that's just oh. giving me shivers <laughs> amazing um so for people that want to find out about you QB I mean I'm going to put all the references in the show notes anyway but where's the best place for them to find you because I know you've got social media you've got your website Yes. Um, so yeah, my website has everything connected to it. So that's the best place to have a look at the workshops I offer, uh, the online OM thing, <laughs> the thing, <laughs> the thing I've <laughs> I've got like an art therapy webinar, which puts a lot of little tricks, probably things we learned in our degree, actually, in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyone that's probably dabbling in that um, and the one making, that's all there. Um but I do all my announcements on my Facebook. So I say, if you feel free to give me a follow on my main Facebook. I've also got um, a Facebook business page as well, which is connected to that. And I'm very Instagram active where I can be. Yeah. So, um, so if that's they all going to be on in, the details. They just put in QB May. They'll be able to find you, won't they? And I can put the details. Yeah. In the and your um, website is QBMayCrafts.com. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, the the Owen Tree um, law, but you know that to me sounds just yeah really needed right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm really enjoying the idea of bringing a lot of people together for that to go on that journey together. So, um, thank you so much for joining us on Whispers of the Soul. Thank you, Sally. Lovely to see you again as well, and beautiful to see what you're up to. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome. And we we're loving the podcasts. So um, and, and hopefully people are loving the podcasts. So, yeah, it's great to have you on and talk about your experiences. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Take care. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thanks for listening. So if you would like to connect to us elsewhere in the multiverse, well, you can. You can find me, Sally, at thecreativeview.co.uk or on Instagram as the.creative.u. For Sibby, her website is healingrights.com and she's also on Instagram as Sibby Rights. Lots of love. See you soon. <laughs>